God's word, please take it and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 16 this morning. First Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 16. As you're turning there, let me remind you what the book of First Peter tells us. It tells those of us who are followers of Jesus that we are aliens and pilgrims. Aliens and pilgrims, ambassadors from another citizenship, another kingdom that we're home to. And so we live here not as consumers, just here to get We actually live here as people who are here to give something. What Peter's told us specifically, especially in the last few weeks, is that part of what we're here to do is we are here to prepare people for the soon and coming return of Jesus Christ. One day, the citizenship we have in this other kingdom, that kingdom will be brought in, will be ushered in in a special and a unique way, and Jesus will set up his rule and reign on this earth In a physical, present way. You and I, as ambassadors from this other kingdom, this other heavenly citizenship, are here to prepare people for this. That's why we exist. Peter's talked about this in relation to the government, how we relate to the governing authorities. He's talked about how we relate at work. He's even gone so far as to talk about how we relate in the home. And as he kind of finishes chapter 3 and moves into chapter 4, he wants to kind of tie a nice bow on this entire conversation about preparing people around us for the return of Christ. And what he's going to talk about this morning is just generally the importance of relationships. I don't know of any other part of our lives that are more difficult to navigate than relationships. Anybody in here like drama in their relationships? Relationships are hard, be that your family, be that your extended family. We have the privilege and honor this next week, many of us, of being around family members we don't normally see. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's challenging. Some of us have difficult and challenging relationships at work or in the community. And what Peter's going to do this morning is he's going to show us what does it look like to have healthy relationships as an alien and a pilgrim who's not home yet. What does it look like to be a person that no matter what relationship you find yourself in, no matter who you're relating to, you can be who God's called you to be in a vibrant, Christ-centered, Christ-honoring relationship? Peter's going to show us that in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Would you please stand with me to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word? 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 16. We read these words in 1 Peter Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. This is God's word. This is his holy, infallible, and inerrant word to us. Would you please pray with me, church? Father God, in these moments, we're asking as a family, we're coming together as your people to hear from you. God, we pray that in these moments, you would remove any distraction that would vie for our attention. And Lord, we pray that you would help us not just be hearers of your word, but would you help us be doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. To understand what healthy relationships look like and what it means to have healthy, vibrant, Christ-centered relationships, we first have to understand what it means to be a blessed people. The word is used three times in this passage of Scripture to say to us that we're not only to be a blessing, but actually that we have received a blessing from God. In fact, look at verse 9 with me in your Bibles there. Peter says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So Peter says that you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the recipient of a blessing. What is he talking about here? He's talking about the fact that if you are a follower of Jesus, you have received divine favor and kindness that you did not deserve. And this divine favor and kindness is so incredible, so great, that not only are we receiving grace and mercy, we actually are now the recipients of the attention of the Creator. The Creator of the universe, is His gaze is fixed on you and me if we know Him as Savior and Lord. Look at... Verse 10, Peter starts quoting from Psalm 34, and he describes what this blessing is. He says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Then notice this phrase. Here it is. Here's the key. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. And what this doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that God has physical ears or eyes. God's a spirit. He doesn't have body parts. He doesn't have a physical presence in that kind of way. But what it's describing is how God functions, how God functions. And what he's saying is that God's function is for those that have received grace and mercy, this blessing that he's talking about in this passage, God's attention is totally fixed on these people. Think about that with me. Think about the weight of the idea that the creator who spoke the world into existence with just a word, his attention is fixed on you. One of my wife's favorite shows is the show Fixer Upper. Anybody ever watch that show in here? A few of you have. Um, She loves that show. She loves it so much that sometimes she even pulls me in to watch it with her. Um, 
And when we watch it, you know, the same pattern, it's this couple that goes in and renovates houses. They find a family that's buying a fixer-upper, and they, uh, over the course of an hour period show, which really is representative of weeks of work, they take this run-down, beat-up, not-much-to-look-at house, and they turn it into something incredible, right? And there's that pivotal moment, right, where the, the, they've got the old house and the way it used to look on, on the sign, and they roll it back and show them their new house, and the couple's screaming and yelling, how great it is and exciting and it's pretty pretty typical pattern there what you see in that show though is when that couple gets into that house their total attention is fixed on redeeming on working through every little corner and crevice of that house to redeem it for something else and i think for me when i look at that show what i watch every single time i watch that pattern in that show i'm watching god's grace at work in my life because Every one of us are born, not as stately mansions that have it all together with no blemishes. You were born as a fixer-upper. So when you look at yourself in the mirror, you go, I'm a fixer-upper, <laughs> right? I, I'm, I'm someone that's in need of the repairing work of the grace of God in my life. And what happens What happens when we receive this blessing from the Lord, when God showers his grace on us, different than the show, which is over in an hour, God's attention and his gaze is fixed on us for the rest of eternity. He's working on repairing those crevices, those spots of your life that nobody knows about, that brokenness that no one can see because you put on a show. God's working in all of those things continuously for the rest of your life. But what we need to know is that this blessing that we're talking about did not come at a small price. The blessing that Peter's describing here actually came at an incredible cost. And in fact, I would say it this way. The grace that Peter's talking about, this blessing, is the greatest gift we've ever been given because it's undeserved and it's costly. Look at the rest of verse 12 with me. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. See, what this passage is referring to from Psalm 34 is the greater testimony from Scripture that is every human being enters this world opposed to God. We've rebelled against God because our hearts want to worship ourselves rather than God. We, we do things that are disobedient to God. Because I want to worship myself. I want to do what makes me feel good. So I'll lie, I'll steal, I'll cheat, I'll I'll look at others with lust or pride in my heart. I'll do all of these things because my heart really is worshiping me. That's why we're fixer-uppers. Because our hearts want to worship and gratify ourselves. And what this does is it puts me at odds with God. It makes me God's enemy. That's why it says that his face is against those who oppose him. And the reason we say that God's grace is undeserved on the screen behind me is because God is totally justified, would be completely right to give us judgment, to give us death, because that's what our sin has earned us. But instead of doing that, God says, I'm going to redeem this fixer ever. I'm going to take that person's life, and by my grace, I'm going to change them. And the way God does that is he gives the punishment that should have been given to you and to me. He pours all of that out on Jesus Christ. So whenever you see a cross, you're seeing what it cost, the cost that it took 
to redeem you and I because that's what I should have been given. That's what you should have been given. We should have been given the punishment that Jesus endured on the cross. Jesus dies on the cross and our place three days later, he rises again to say to you and to me, you can be redeemed. You can be restored. God's grace and his attention can be brought into your life because Jesus Christ has made that possible. The way that you and I receive that in our lives is by repenting of our sin, that's turning from sin, turning from gratifying myself, and instead trusting Christ, placing my faith in him. Peter says here that what's happened to those of us that know Christ is we've received the greatest blessing imaginable because what we've been given is not deserved, and it came at an incredible cost, the life of Jesus Christ. So let me just ask you a question. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, if you know Christ as your Savior, do you know how blessed you really are? Think about that this week. You're going to be asked over the next week to think about what you're thankful for. There's a lot of things I'm thankful for. My family, the, the, the fact that you guys pay me to do this. Um, incredible. I would do this for free. Don't tell anybody, but I, I'm blown away that you guys would let me do this. I'm thankful for that. And I I could go through the list of things, but you know what? The thing that I'm most thankful for, the thing that is most amazing to me is the fact that God would take me broken, sinful, ridden with mistakes and failure, and he would take me, though deserving death, and he would instead give me life. He would give me grace and mercy and forgiveness. Do you see that that's the greatest blessing you've ever been given? So over the next week, will you do me a favor? Take some time with your family. Take some time by yourself as we slow down to give thanks. Take some time to do inventory about your heart. Is your heart still thankful for grace? Is your heart still um, overwhelmed by the fact that you're a fixer-upper? You're not a stately mansion. You're in need of God's repair in your life. If you're not a Christian... What God offers you, if you don't know him, he offers you forgiveness, he offers you mercy, he offers you repair by his grace. And our prayer would be that you would open your eyes to see the need that you have for Christ. The great news about God's grace and this blessing that this passage describes is, as I mentioned a moment ago, it doesn't end over an hour period of time. It doesn't end just with one hour show. God actually saves us from something, the death that we should have earned our penalty, and he saves us for something. He repurposes us for a new task, and that's what he gets to when he starts talking about relationships. What Peter's gonna say to us is that you and I are called to be, is we're called to be conduits, tools God uses to show his grace and mercy to others. Okay, so if you can get this in your mind's eye with me this morning, think of a pipe, an L-shaped pipe, all right? On the one hand, you've got this vertical component that's going up, and then it curves out to be horizontal. That's what you and I are. We're meant to be these L-shaped pipes that are conduits for the blessing and the grace of God. Look at verse 9 with me and how Peter tells us this. He says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. You were made, when God saved you from your sin, he saved you for a purpose of being a blessing, a conduit 
of God's grace and mercy in other people's lives. And it's only natural. You're an alien and a pilgrim, after all. It's only natural that you and I would offer the best thing we have from our heavenly citizenship to others. So think about this. When, when a foreign dignitary comes from their country and visits America, it's not uncommon for if they were giving a gift to someone to give a gift of the best thing that that country has to offer, right? So if somebody's coming from Russia, they might bring somebody caviar, right? This is this, is this really unique and special thing that we have in my country. If they're coming from Thailand, they might give somebody a pearl or, or, or jade jewel of some sort, some kind of jewelry to say this is this precious kind of special thing that my country has to offer. And what Peter's saying to you and to me is as citizens of a foreign kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, we get to offer people a gift. And it's better than a political victory or a way to have a happy life now. What we get to offer people is Jesus. We get to show people the best thing we've been given is not something, it's actually a person. Peter tells us that you and I get to give the gospel of grace to a lost, dying world, and he tells us we get to do that in two ways here, okay? Two ways, I want you to see that he says we're to be conduits, that L-shaped pipe, keep that in your mind's eye, of God's grace. The first is through a transformed life transform life. Look back at verse 10. He says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Christians are not perfect people, but they are transformed people. Christians are not people without mistakes and foibles or failures, but they are people that are repentant. And what Psalm 34, as Peter's quoting it, it's telling us is that there should be a change in our lives once we come to know Christ, because the fixer-upper is not just an hour, it continues on into the future forever. The word that captivated my heart this week when I was reading this, guys, was verse 11, when he says that we're to seek peace and pursue it. That word, peace, really, to me, sums up what we have in Christ in a lot of ways. See, before I know Christ, I'm just pieced together by what everybody else thinks about me. What my parents think about me, what my teachers think about me, what my coaches say about me, what my employer says about me, what the world says about me, what I think about me. I'm just kind of pieced together by all these things. And there's just a restlessness to my life because I'm trying to find approval from all these people And I can't make one happy without making the other mad. And I just kind of get bounced back and forth. There's no rest for my soul until I come to Christ. And then you know what happens when I come to know Jesus and I know him as my savior? I come to realize that what God says about me is really all that matters. I come to find out that because I have Christ's approval, I don't have to fight and rage for everybody else's. Because I'm a child, a son, and daughter of the king, I don't have to worry about what everybody else thinks about me. I have a rest for my soul that comes from knowing the creator of the universe loves me and cares about me and calls me his child. The reason I think rest and peace is elusive to many of us sometimes is we spend a lot of time trying to make everybody else happy trying to find approval from everybody else that we're trying to get it from, rather than realizing, if I know Christ, I've already got that. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you have all the approval that you need. 
Now, there are authorities God puts in your life, your parents, others that you're to submit to. But what Christ says about you is what's most important. And that's why we can have real peace. People are blessed by a life that's transformed. And if I can just go here again, in this season in our country, with elections and people marching on the streets, for you and I to be people at peace, communicate something to others. How can you be at peace when there are riots going on and people are angry about this and they're angry about that and and this should have happened or that shouldn't have happened? There's just raging going on right now in our country. You and I have an opportunity to say, what I have in Christ gives me peace. It gives me real rest for my soul that no outcome of an election could ever provide for me. You and I have an opportunity to be conduits of God's grace by having an unexplained behavior to our lives that points to an unseen God. But the second thing is also important. We're to be conduits of God's grace not only through transformed lives, but through loving relationships. We're not just giving people a message, we're actually giving people ourselves. Look at verse eight and how Peter describes this. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Peter says that we're to love other human beings with a tender-hearted, humble mind. That is to say that I'm to be empathetic, connecting with other people, relating to them where they are. In the life group I was a part of this morning, we talked about meeting people where they are, but I'm also connecting with them, realizing I have a humble mind. I'm putting them ahead of myself. I'm taking on the role of a servant to serve others. And the hope is that in these kinds of relationships, I'm able to not just spend time with these people, but I'm able to speak the truth of life into them from the goodness of God's grace. A couple years ago, uh, Richard Ross came to our church. Richard Ross is a professor at Southwestern Seminary. He's a professor in youth ministry and family ministry. And he came to Riverview to talk about um, parenting and family ministry. And he said, you know, you can really sum up parenting philosophies and what we've learned from research about all things as it relates to kids and raising them in a Christian home with this PVC pipe. And he got this pipe out of this suitcase he had. And he took this huge, it was about this big around. Some of you were there, you remember this. He said, you can sum up all the research about connecting with kids in the next generation with this. He said, every single one of us have this piece of pipe coming out of our chest. And it's trying to connect with something. It's trying to connect with some person. And he said, what we find is the parents that are able to keep Christ the center of their homes are the parents that are not only people of truth, speaking authoritatively what God has said, but they're also parents who are able to connect at a heart level with their children. You see, this pipe and our kids knowing that we care about them, that we love them, that we know that they know that they're valued becomes the conduit through which we can speak truth into their lives. It's a difficult balance, isn't it, moms and dads, to be people of grace and truth. Sometimes we get too much truth. Sometimes we get too much grace. What Richard came to tell us, and I think is consistent with this passage, is Christ is calling us through Peter here to connect with people at a heart level, to try to empathize with them, to try to love them, to try to put them ahead of ourselves. Why? so that you and I can be conduits of God's grace, so that we can speak the goodness of the gospel into people's lives, not just as a project or something I've got to solve, but somebody that I really and truly love and care for. What does it mean to be that L-shaped piece of pipe? Here it is just in one statement. 
we become conduits of God's blessing through living transformed lives and loving relationships. The way that you and I take the grace that God gives us, that's the vertical component, and begin to invest it in others by letting Christ transform our lives. And as that transformation happens, connecting to other people at the heart level to share the, lost, the goodness of God's grace to a lost and dying world. This is what Jesus did. A couple nights ago, we were reading with the boys. It's Bible truth time. Reading about the story in our Bible time in the evenings about how Jesus was asked to come and heal this man's daughter. She was sick. She was dying. Jesus agrees to go. He begins to walk through this busy area. And as he's walking through, there are just people everywhere. He's bumping into people. There's everybody going in different directions. The disciples are trying to move people out of the way so Jesus can get to this little girl. And all of a sudden, as Jesus is walking through this area, he stops. And he goes, somebody touched me. And the disciples are like, duh. <laughs> There's like hundreds of people around here. People are touching you all over the place. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. Somebody touched me. There was a special way someone touched me because I felt power go out of me. So Jesus stops. Everybody kind of stops what they're doing, if you can picture this in your mind's eye. And he says, who touched me? And this little old lady walks up to Jesus. The Bible tells us that for years, for a number of years, she had suffered under the hands of doctors because she'd had a disease and illness that nobody could heal. And the minute she touched Jesus... The Bible tells us that she was instantly healed, and Jesus tells her, your faith has made you well. Now, you and I are not Christ in that kind of way, but what we are is we are called to live his example out of, in our day-to-day lives, loving the least of these. Connecting with people, blessing people at a heart level where they know that we care about them, even if we disagree with them. Can I tell you that's going to be one of our biggest challenges in 2016 in America? is to love people we disagree with. I would say the place for civil discourse in our society is quickly vanishing. It's so much easier to demonize people I disagree with. It's so much easier to make them the enemy and the person that has to be destroyed rather than actually realizing I have a responsibility as a Christian to love people even that I disagree with politically, even that I disagree with about their faith or where they come from from that, because what I have to remember is I'm a conduit of God's blessing. God's made you and me to be this pipe that takes what he's given us and begins to invest that into the hearts of other people through time with them and through speaking the truth of what we've been given. So let's apply this together to our lives just for a moment. Let me ask you a couple questions. Who are you blessing this morning in your life, who are the people that would come to mind? Who are the people you're blessing through loving relationships in your life today? <clears throat> How is God using you to be a conduit of his grace in the lives of other people? Let's get a little more specific, okay? How about your family? Parents, do your kids have a conscious sense of their value in your eyes? Are you trying to connect with your kids at a heart level? What about your spouse? For those of you that are married, are you connecting 
with your spouse? Are you pouring life into them? Are you encouraging them? Are you challenging them? Are you taking what God's given you and pouring it into someone else? Um, the last couple weeks in the Plumley household has been a little crazy. I think I mentioned that last week. My home, I've been traveling some. I had a procedure, which by the way, when somebody says procedure, that means you don't ask what they had done. I had a medical procedure, took me out of the game for a little while. Uh, we thought Seth had appendicitis, took him to the ER. He didn't. But when you're at three in the morning and mom thinks he's got appendicitis, guess where you're going, folks? You're going to the doctor. Noah's got strep throat this morning. So it's just, you know, you know how it is. It's just one thing after another. And I looked at Shelly uh, three or four days ago and I said, you know, it just feels like we're roommates right now. You ever been there? It just feels like you're going like this and I'm going like this and we're roommates and we have this shuttling service where we take people places. And I just said, we, I don't care what we have to do. We've got to get some time together for you and I to connect here. You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about where we could sit and spend time together and talk about what's on her mind, what's on her heart, what she's excited about, what she is nervous about, what she is uh, happy about, what she's afraid of, where we can connect. And so that's what we did. We, we canceled some things, we moved some things around, and we just got some time together. And it was so good to do that. Some of you this morning who are married may need it this afternoon to say, you know what? I don't care what we got to cancel. I don't care what we got to move around. I don't care who we make upset. We've got to connect because we're not just roommates. If I can speak to the men in the room for a moment, the husbands, this is our responsibility to initiate this. Where do you get off telling me that? Well, Ephesians 5 says <laughs> that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, right? So our role, men, is to lead in that way. So it's not wrong just to stop and say, hey, I feel like we're just all business right now. We need to warm this thing up. We need to connect. Maybe some of you need to do that today. I know some of you aren't married. Some of you have kids. Let me talk to you for a second. What about work? Are there people at your job right now that you're actively blessing? that you're actively acting as a conduit for God's blessing and grace? Are there people at your workplace that would go, I may not agree with Spencer and everything, but I know he cares about me. I know he loves me. I know that he would do anything for me and my family. Those of you that are in school, those of you that are students, are there people in your school who would say that you're blessing through loving relationships? You're not trying to get anything from them. You're not trying to angle or position to get something from them. You just want to be a blessing to them. You just want to love on them and show them how much God loves them. The people at your school that you're doing that with. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, one of the challenges that quickly emerges is I think about how busy I am. I go, man, who's got time for that? That's hard. Some of you may think of other challenges that emerge when you start thinking about being that kind of blessing in other people's lives. But what I want you to know is Peter anticipates the challenges that will come. He anticipates that there are going to be challenges to be a blessing. That's what he wants to address next. Peter's writing to people who are living under one of the most cruel, oppressive emperors in the Roman kind of history. They're operating under a guy named Nero. And so in verse 13, he says this to them. Chapter 3, verse 13, look at there in your Bibles. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Here's the question. Can circumstances or situations or suffering or difficulties move me off from being a blessing? How do I be a blessing when it's not easy? How am I supposed to be a blessing in the midst of busyness? How am I supposed to be a blessing where in an American context, many of us have bought into the value of comfort and ease? I, I, don't, I don't even think we should even use the word persecution in our vocabulary when it comes to what you and I go through. Like that should not even be in our radar. There are people you do understand this morning that to have this open on their desk is considered terrorist material in parts of Central Asia. I could show you stories about ladies who come to Bible studies in the evening and praise God for being able to come even though their husbands beat them with hammers for coming. We have no idea what persecution means. And so when we read this, part of what we need to do is pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ and other parts of the world that are enduring real persecution. But what you and I need to glean from this is that there are challenges nevertheless that we will face, though they're different, albeit not as intense There are four quick things I want to show you in closing that Peter tells us here we need to do to be a blessing in difficulty, okay? Really quick, you got to listen fast. Number one, Peter tells us the way we can be a blessing in the midst of difficulty is by, number one, remembering who God is. Remembering who God is. Look at verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? It's as if Peter's kind of saying this, who can stand up and match God? Who, who's going to challenge the creator? Nobody. If you're reading through the Bible with us this year in Ezekiel, you'll notice that Ezekiel is making these judgments over these foreign nations. By the way, a little plug, we have a Bible reading calendar to take you through the Bible in a year. Right now we're reading through Ezekiel, and Ezekiel is, is condemning Egypt, and he's condemning all these foreign nations. At the time he was saying them, they would have laughed at him. They would have been like, you're going to take us down? Who do you think you are? But as Ezekiel's prophecies are made and time goes on, each of these kingdoms are plucked up and removed by God. Now, why do I tell you that? I tell you that because part of what we've got to do in the midst of difficulty and suffering is remember that the God that we worship is sovereign and all-powerful. Some of you are in difficult circumstances right now. How can you be a blessing in the midst of those? It's by remembering that the God you worship is sovereign and over all things. Number two, we're also called to honor Christ as the Lord. Look at the rest of verse 14. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. The word honor means that you and I would value Jesus above everything else. What Peter's saying is that every one of our hearts, every one of us inside us have these root systems, these roots, and our roots are going down into something that we're trusting for security, peace, and hope. Okay? And that security, I'm losing track of what I was saying. Uh, That security, (laughs) sorry, that security, those roots are meant to be taken down into Christ. What he's saying is that we should look at Christ and say, he's really better than anything else that I have. And if everything's taken from me, I can still be a blessing because the roots of my heart have been taken down into Jesus. I'm trusting that he's better than anything else. Number three, 
Peter says that we're to be ready to give a reason for our hope. Look at verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, we could do like a whole morning just on this. Like We could do like several weeks just on this idea because this is the foundation where we get the idea of apologetics, right? That word make a defense in the original language is the word apologia. It's where we get the idea that you and I should be ready to explain why we believe what we believe. So this is the picture that Peter's kind of painting in his mind's eye. He's saying, envision someone coming to you and saying, why are you being a blessing to that no good low down husband of yours? Hopefully there's no elbows flying at this point. Why are you blessing that wife in your life when all the other guys make fun of their wives? Why are you being a blessing to that employer that you know you find insufferable? Why are you still kind to him or her? That you and I are ready to say, here's why. That we're ready to speak and explain that actually it's because I've been given more than I could ever deserve, so I'm able to love people like this. I'm able to forgive and be gracious to others because I've been forgiven. I had somebody ask me this past week after my message last week, how do I, how do I grow in forgiveness of other people? How do I become a more forgiving person? Can I tell you, it's real simple. It's by coming back over and over and over and over and over again that I have been forgiven of more than anyone will ever do to me. Some of you have had some pretty rotten things done to you. I know some of your stories. Some of you I don't know, and I I still know the percentages carry. Some of you have had abuse. You've had people leave you in relationships. You've had financial hardships. You've had health difficulties. And what I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, without question, is the things that have been done to us, none of those will even come close to the rebellion that you and I have been forgiven of before God. How do I remain a forgiven person rather than a bitter person? It's by remembering that I've been forgiven. Peter says we should be ready to give a defense. I have to go here just really quick. Can you hang on just one more second? When Peter says a defense, he means two things. That I'm ready to show that Christianity is both right and reasonable. That's what he means, okay? If you just sum up apologetics, just like a 60-second deal, number one, reasonable. That means I'm saying that what I believe is not fantasy or a fairy tale. Jesus really was a real person. He really lived. He really died. He really rose again. You can't find his body. The Bible is a historically reliable document that you can trust, that we're able to say those things, but that we're also able to come back and say, not only is Christianity reasonable, it's actually right. Nobody else died for you than Jesus. No one else paid the penalty for your sin than Christ. Our claim that Jesus is the only way to God and the only way to heaven is not one birthed out of pride. It's not one birthed out of trying to be right all the time. It's one birthed out of historical, reliable information that says Jesus died for you and he's the only one who did. So when somebody comes to me and says, why are you being a blessing to that wife of yours, that husband or that employer, and they don't understand it, that we're ready to do that. Notice this phrase though, church. We're doing that, verse 15, with gentleness and respect. We're doing that with a humility that doesn't try to make ourselves look good or make somebody else look bad. 
Another way of saying this is the gospel in and of itself is offensive enough. I don't need to add offense to it by how I present it. Does that make sense? Telling people they're broken, they're a fixer-upper, and they need the redeeming work of Christ to many people is going to be offensive. Peter's saying, present that, explain that to people in a way that's kind and gentle and humble. Number four, and finally, how can we be blessings? How can we be this L-shaped pipe in the midst of difficulty? It is by having a good conscience. Look at verse 16. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Good conscience, that means, conscience means with knowledge, and it means that you are a person of consistency. Not that you're perfect, not that you never make mistakes, but that what you say matches up to what you believe and what you live. And that when you make mistakes, you own those and you repent of those. Parents, do you know what we hear from statisticians about the number one reasons kids leave the faith when they graduate from high school and go into college? It is because what mom and dad say and sing about on Sunday morning doesn't match up to how they live on Wednesday afternoon. There's not a consistency there in their lives. Peter's saying be a consistent person so that when people attack you, They may be put to shame. They may see that your behavior is consistent. Here's the answer, just summing this up in one more statement. You and I are called to be a blessing regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. In your home, husbands and wives, you're called to be a blessing to your husband or your wife even when they're difficult. Notice I didn't say even if they're difficult. I said when they're difficult. You're called to be a blessing, a conduit of God's grace and mercy at work, even in difficult circumstances. You're called to be a conduit of God's grace, even in your school, when difficult circumstances come. Just in closing, let me just say this. I want to remind you that there is no way to be a conduit of blessing unless you first receive God's grace and forgiveness. I would hate for some of you to walk out of here this morning and say, okay, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to try this. I'm going to be this L-shaped thing Spencer was talking about. I'm going to go for it when you've never received the grace of God. The first step to being what God's made you to be is not trying to be a conduit of grace. It's receiving grace. It's repenting. It's turning from your sin and trusting Christ. And if that's you this morning, if you don't know Christ, our prayer for you would be that you'd not walk out of here trying to be something that you're not, but that you turn from your sin and trust Christ. If you know Christ as your Savior, what we're going to do to conclude this service this morning is we're going to take time to do the Lord's Supper. And this is a time when we're remembering together as a family that we've been given in Christ the greatest blessing we've ever received. If you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, we're really glad you're here today. But if you're not a Christian, we're going to ask you not to take this with us. And it's not because we don't love you. We're we're so glad you're here. It's just that this meal for us, what we believe biblically this is about, it's about remembering the grace that God's given us. And if you've never received that, while we don't want you to take this with us, we do hope this is an opportunity for you to reflect and to consider the grace and goodness that God offers you. But church, let's remember, we have received in this meal, what we're remembering is we've received the greatest blessing we've ever been given. Are you functioning as a conduit of that grace in the lives of other people. Let's pray together, church. Father God, we pray.